Welcome to the Big Ed Idea Podcast, a podcast for those looking to change the world through education. Each week, we bring you a new idea, however big or bold it is, that has the potential to disrupt, upheave, or remix education. Now, here's your host, my dad, Ryan Scott. Hello and welcome back, or welcome for the first time, to the Big Ed Idea Podcast. Um, As you may or may not know, I am Ryan Scott, um, and I am coming from the lovely western part of Kentucky. Um, I'll tell you, today has been a really, really good day for uh, me and for my family. Today was the very first opportunity for my kids to step onto a soccer field in over a year. Um, And as a lifelong soccer guy, uh, one that grew up playing soccer, one that refed at the high school level, um, at the select level, one that coached at the select level, coached at the high school level, um, it is absolutely amazing to get some sort of normalcy back. And so uh, today I got to coach my nine-year-old and I got to coach my six-year-old in their rec league on their rec teams. And it was just awesome. Um, so sports is something that I love. And so when this uh, gentleman reached out to me, like literally I didn't have to contact him. He contacted me. Um, and I was so humbled because when you hear these credentials, you're going to be like, Ryan, how did you snag this guy? Um, I'm not sure, but we're going to go with it. So my guest this evening or this morning or whenever you decide to listen is the is none other than the one and only Dr. Chris Hobbs. And uh, he has this awesome credential behind him called the CMAA, and I'm not going to try and butcher it um, by what it means, but essentially what it means it is the highest certification that an athletic director can earn, um, in the United States. And so that in itself is pretty darn cool. And so, um, some of his other, other credentials is he states, uh, very unequivocally that he is a Christ follower, which is amazing, which is wonderful. He is the director of athletics at the King's Academy, which is in West Palm beach, Florida. He was the National High School Athletic Director of the Year in 2019. He was the 40 under 40 sport leader for Coach and Athletic Director Magazine for 2018. He is a board member for the Baylor Center for School Leadership, which I just jokingly told him this is a really good year for Baylor. Um, He was the creator, or sorry, yeah, he was the creator of the bite down and don't let go blog so without further ado i'm going to introduce my new friend uh dr chris hobbs chris thank you ryan great to meet you thank you so much for having me on congratulations on getting back on a soccer field today Uh, that is that is big news man that it really is big news that is really big news um i know you'll attest to this but sports was such just a huge part of my life um, I think kids learn so many wonderful life lessons on the field or off the field or in the pool or, you know, whatever athletics, um, they are doing. Um, it's, it's wonderful to, to start moving in that direction. That's awesome, man. Congratulations to you. I know it's a little bit of normalcy, maybe. That's right. That's right. Well, and, and you said you, um, as we speak, you're actually still at the high school cause you had a late night. Um, <laughs> you were, uh, administering, as we call it, had to be the administrator of record for a lacrosse game. So um, I would assume that you are really 
pumped about athletics starting back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, like you, Ryan, a huge part of my story. I uh, just had some incredible coaches have a really, really big impact on my life. And, uh, you know, I think something that's core to me would be the interaction between a student athlete and a coach. I think that is some of the most fertile soil for significant life impact that, that any young person can expose themselves to. So uh, I'm pretty passionate about, about coaches being really intentional uh, about using sport for something bigger than sport. Uh, so uh, you and me are speaking the same language there, pal. Amen, man. Um, it's, it's really funny. My last uh, episode actually was with a young lady, Olivia uh, Wiedemann, who is a teacher at the Milton Hershey School in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And she, the whole episode was about mentoring, um, which obviously is, is what a coach does. So uh, yeah, it's really cool that uh, we got two kind of the same vein of world changing uh, back to back. So really cool, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. So um, what I always like to start these things with, um, because I have a very non-traditional way of getting into education, didn't, didn't actually get my degree until I was 27, uh, pretty much wandered through life from 16 to 22, three-ish, um, really because of the biggest, um, I said mistake, but it's not really a mistake. Um, I actually was talking to a student today in my office, and he he corrected me because I like to say my oldest daughter was my biggest mistake, um, my best mistake. Um, but he said, no, Mr. Scott, it's your best accident. It was a happy accident. And she kind of got me back on the track. So I always like to hear from people, um, what led you into education, my friend? Yeah, um, it's, a, it's really a, a family business. And then it was kind of really anchored down in my life by uh, coaches in educational settings. So my father's a, a career-long educator. Um, even to this day, I was talking to him tonight. Oh, wow. Um, um, he's been in educational administration forever. Next year will be his 45th year. Wow. Uh, in schools. Um, my mother uh, joined later in her career. So she's probably oh, 30 or 35 years into her career. And so uh, me and I've got two younger brothers. Uh, we are all in education, but we, we really got drawn, I think, permanently into it. Uh, we watched my dad do it, and he loved it. My dad literally skips out of the door every morning. He just loves what he does. Uh, and so that's obviously intriguing. And then um, coaches in school settings really, really kind of, you know, I guess crystallized the fact that, man, school's how we grew up uh, as an administrator's kid. I spent way too much time on campus, you know, waiting for him to get done with meetings or and then that turned around, turned into just hanging out at practices as a, as a student athlete in high school and college and uh, coaches having a big role in all that. And so um, I do love it. Um, and it's a good thing because it's really all I know. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I get it. If I if for some reason I wasn't to find myself in education, I would probably be homeless because I'm not sure what else I would do. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> All right, man, my next segment, um, now that we know kind of what drawn you into education, it was the family business, um, which is awesome because as a, as a dad of four daughters, um, I can honestly say I really hope one of my girls finds the passion that I have for this calling. Um, but our next segment is what I like to affectionately call the two for two. Um, and it is my way of modeling my sincere belief that you have to put the connections first um, before you can do any sort of content. Um, I know you know this as a coach, 
Um, I know you know this as an educator. Um, if we motivate our kids, our kids will, will literally run through a wall for us. Um, and so I want to know a little bit more about you. So I've got some questions that have literally nothing to do with education. And um, that's okay. So my first question, my friend, if you could choose to do anything for a day, what would it be? Oh, man. Um, so I'm a little simplistic, maybe, because my gut reaction to that question would be, uh, I would want to wake up, read, write, work out, and then take a nap. Like that's, that's, that would be my gut reaction to like what, what, anything in the world, yeah, right? Right. Like, whatever you want to do. And that's my gut reaction there. Um, and so um, I, I might take it one step, maybe to be a little bit more idealistic. Um, I would love to spend an entire day um, visiting with my old college basketball coach. Oh, cool. Um, back on our old college campus. I think that would be, uh, I love nostalgia. I think that would be uh, super nostalgic for me. Nice. Uh, which college did you play for? So I played at a uh, small little D3 school in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Called no Clark way. Summit. Yep. Clark Summit University. And for those of so office fans out there that might be listening to yeah. us. Yeah. Um, however, the office one. depicts Scranton is almost 100% accurate. That's exactly what Scranton is like. Um, and so that that show is is if you are from Scranton or have spent time in Scranton, that show is unbelievably accurate. <laughs> you know, it, it's really funny you said that. I actually, uh, my cousin and my aunt live in um, Susquehanna, Pennsylvania. Okay. Yep. And yep. I spent when I was a junior, I spent three weeks um, up there, and then a week in Watertown, New York. Um, okay. So I'm very familiar with that area. That's really cool, man. Yeah, it was uh, a great, great four years, small little place. Uh, it's actually a little suburb of Scranton called Clark Summit. Um, very picturesque college that's actually an old, um, the main building is an old monastery uh, wow, that was refurbished cool. and uh, just uh, wonderful lifelong memories. I, I still, some of my dearest friends today, I actually was um, spending time with one of my former college basketball teammates, uh, you know, 20 years later. Uh, we're, we're, we're still very deeply connected. So, um, yeah, great, great part of the country for me, at least. Very cool. Very cool. Um, all right, my friend, my next one, what is, let's see, what is your favorite zoo animal? <sighs> favorite zoo animal. Um, I feel like I could watch anything in the primate cage. Forever. Yeah. Right anything in the primate cage. And one of the things that blows me his way is how strong yeah. primates are. Uh, someone told me once that uh, a certain species of gorilla is technically pound for pound, the strongest mammal on the planet. Um, interestingly enough, it's a total vegetarian. It's not a right. carnivore. Um, I am very much a carnivore, but I, but I, if I ever think about you know, like my workout habits and trying to get stronger, I think, well, maybe I should be a vegetarian like a gorilla. <laughs> Um, and the strength of their hands, the way they can just hang for hours and hours and hours. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's fascinating to me for some reason. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Um, I'll tell you, I love snakes. Um, when I was a fourth grade teacher, I had a um, ball python. His name was Monty Python. And <laughs> I, yeah, I had him for almost five years. And while I would teach, he would be on my arm or um, he would be on the projector at that time. Um, 
and, but then I switched schools and my wife refused to let me bring it home over the summer. Um, so I actually gave it to a student and he lived for like another five years or so, but yeah, that's cool. So you taught, Ryan, you taught with a snake on you. Yeah. Oh yeah. My goodness. Oh, There's yeah. a lot of people I know that were, would be sweating bullets right now. Just <laughs> thinking that thought. My wife is one of them. Yeah. Right. Well, um, I, I might've, I might be able to do that because for one summer I was a seasonal naturalist at a state park. And so my job was to catch snakes and then put them in um, aquariums and teach students about it. So like, yeah, I have, I don't have any problem with that, but you know, some people that's do. Incredible. That's, that's quite a job there. <laughs> it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, so my friend, uh, why don't you ask me your two? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Ryan. Share with everyone that's listening and share with me. Um, what is one of your fondest, most often thought about childhood memories? Ooh. Um, so it's probably when I was in elementary school, because um, after elementary school, I started playing select soccer and you know how so with select soccer, it's three days a week of practice. Then usually every weekend it was somewhere, some tournament in some other town. So once you start playing select sports, like the family stuff kind of goes to the wayside. Um, but prior to that, um, every summer, my family would go to Texas for two weeks. And I have a lot of family in West Texas. And so a lot of my summers were spent up in the mountains of West Texas, um, on a ranch, um, that had, um, let's see, they had Spanish goats and we would, you know, swim in the Nueces river. And, um, my dad and I would go spotlighting for deer at night or shoot jackrabbits with four tens. Um, so we had a lot of really good memories in Texas. Um, but like I said, you know, when you start playing select sports, that kind of goes out the wayside so yeah, yeah. it was some that sounds time. like a great two weeks it was it, it other than i will tell tell you this my dad had a 1994 ford ranger and okay. there were two sons and then mom and dad and mom and dad got to sit in the front in the air conditioning oh. and the boys had to sit in the back of the truck with a camper <laughs> shell and somehow my dad thought it was okay because he put this little boot between the camper shell and the cab and turn the air conditioning on. Um, yeah, it was not cold. It was super hot. I can remember sitting in the back, uh, like literally in my underwear, trying to get cool. But once we got there, it was awesome. And ironically enough, I just bought my son who's 16. I just bought him a 1996 Ford Ranger. Wow. Uh, so they still run. They still run. It's what he wanted. He wanted a beat up little truck. So that's all right. I bought him a beat up little truck. <laughs> there you go, man. Was it a five speed? It is. It is. So oh, he's learning to drive yeah. manual transmission. That's what he wanted. Uh, so he's uh, he's kind of a, a gritty blue collar kid living yeah. in a, a very uh, white collar part of the country. here. <laughs> <West Palm Beach. laughs> That's OK. That's OK. All right, my friend, what other question you got for me? Second question for you. Um, talk to me about your favorite music from when you were a teenager, whether it's a genre, a band, a song, what's your favorite music from when you were a teenager? Okay. So when I was, again, this goes back to soccer. When I was probably 14, 
a kid I was playing with, um, who was actually, I think he was the, at that time, soccer was using sweepers and stoppers. We don't really use that anymore in, in soccer, but he was my stopper and I was a goalie, um, all five foot six of me. Um, but if anybody knows about soccer, the goalie and the sweeper and stopper usually have a really good relationship because those are your guys that kind of run your defense and protect your goal and stuff. And so, um, he introduced me to the Beatles. And so I started getting really big into the Beatles at 14. Um, I still am a very avid Beatles fan. Um, my oldest Madison, she learned all of the Beatles before she was three years old. Um, my music room, I've got a music room because I play the piano, the banjo, um, has Beatles posters. Um, my four-year-old now, when she wants to listen to something, she's like, play the Beatles. And, and so, yeah, the Beatles have been around with me for a very, very long time. Favorite Beatles song? Uh, hey, Bulldog. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Is that, is that one that only real Beatle fans would know, or is that a pretty popular one? Uh, it's I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. It's probably not super okay. um, known. It's just got a really good bluesy beat. Okay. Um, that's probably, yeah, that's probably my favorite one. I, li I like the fact that you didn't even hesitate. You yeah. knew right away. So yeah, it's yeah, clearly, yeah. Uh, clearly one you really like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, my friend, now that you know me and uh, you know me a little bit, or I know you a little bit better, um, we are going to jump into the stated purpose of this podcast um because you know when i started this podcast it was covid um, i was looking for a creative outlet um but at the same time i was wanting to i was wanting to touch out to some people Ooh, okay i was wanting to touch out to some people that um kind of had similar ideas that i had about education um because i know what it's like you but sometimes it you feel like you're on an island with some of your own ideas and it was nice to reach out to people across the united states that had similar ideas um that honestly made me feel like i wasn't crazy so um the stated purpose of this is to connect the vision of one with the passion of another um, our goal is that your vision will connect with somebody's passion and then something will come of it and some type of change will happen so um, before we can get to the idea, obviously, we need to talk about, you know, kind of what is that idea hope to solve? And so what is the problem in education that you see, um, I guess, the need for your idea? Yeah, yeah. So I think education is such a unique industry because every single person involved in education has to be a leader. Um, so my wife is an educator. Uh, my wife is a first grade teacher. Uh, she's in her 13th year uh, as an educator. Um, and if she is not a great leader, if she's not real sharp in her leadership skills, uh, trust me, she's going to walk into a room full of six-year-olds and it's going to be a long day. That's right. Um, if she's not a leader, um, guidance counselors, assistant principals, building principals, superintendents, athletic directors, um, AP teachers, you know, whatever it is, every single person working in that school building um, that is interacting with those children has got to be a really sharp leader. And I think 
we underestimate because um, in education, uh, understandably so, we become very, very focused, maybe even distracted um, by the task at hand, educating young people, uh, standards, testing, programs, new educational fads, right? Like, like, like uh, you throw a pandemic on top of it and trying to educate kids during a pandemic, you know, so you're talking virtual learning and hybrid learning and should we be in class? Should we not be in class? You're talking all, all those things that we have to deal with. Um, I think that we underestimate how well those things would go if every educator just spent a little bit of time focusing on the type of leader they were I think all those things as like dominoes start to begin to line up. So um, I think leadership for every single person in education um, is undervalued, quite yeah. honestly. Yeah, I think it's very easy to pigeonhole, especially in a school building. Uh, these are the leaders. These are the teachers. These yep. are the custodians. These are the kitchen people, you know. Uh, but what I what I hear you saying is, in, in all reality, they are all leaders um, and should all be treated as such. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you'll see it. Um, I, I mean, it's almost clear as day. Uh, you walk into a classroom. Um, maybe one of the terms we would use would be like classroom control. Yeah. Well, a classroom control isn't so much about like, you know, whether or not you can threaten the kids to follow your instructions or you can reward the kids for following your instructions. Classroom control is really about leadership skill. Yeah. You know, are, are you capable of leading those young people? Uh, towards the stated objective of the day of the lesson, uh, things like that. And so that's why it's it's so interesting to me that usually great teachers are great coaches and usually great coaches are great teachers because at the core of those roles is leadership skill. Yeah. Uh, and so if you can lead in one atmosphere, there's a really good chance you could probably lead in the other atmosphere. Uh, and I see that all the time in my profession. I completely would agree with you. Uh, completely agree with you. you know with classroom management um, I was guilty definitely within my probably my this is year number 14 so maybe the first six or seven years I thought you had to study like these classroom management strategies and you know you needed to try this with this student this but really I, what you are saying is um, if you are a good leader you are inspiring those kids um, essentially to do whatever you would like to do, not because they're afraid of you, but because they are inspired to do it. Um, one of my, one of my, another one of my big ideas is that psychology in the classroom is not pushed nearly as much as the pedagogy. And I, what I hear you saying is that the leadership um, is as much to do with the psychology of the, of the classroom or the school or the whatever, as it is the pedagogy. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I, I love what you just said a few sentences ago uh, about um, the difference between um, leading, you know, versus or leading towards a certain, uh, you know, objective for the day or, or whatever it might be, um, and leading because they're inspired by who you are, right. and then that ultimately gives you an opportunity or a platform to take them whatever the objective is today. But it's this symbiotic experience between the student or whoever you're leading is inspired by you, but you're also totally interested in what's best for them. What's good for them. You're in this for them. Right. That creates this organic uh, momentum almost that then allows you to kind of collectively go together towards whatever the stated objective is. Oh dude, I, I, I totally get it. And I totally dig what you're saying. 
Um, so if that is the problem, um, as far as, you know, that we, we, we kind of don't push leadership, um, I guess, maybe horizontally as much as we should in our systems, kind of what is your idea of how we could, you know, have, maybe how can we do better? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I really, for everyone that's listening, I, you know, I'd really like to inspire everyone around the idea of how important it is to lead yourself well, uh, because assuming most listeners are in the educational industry, it's so important to lead yourself well, because you're in an industry that demands that you have leadership skill. Uh, and before you can lead anyone else, you really need to, to kind of grasp why and how to lead yourself well. Um, and so um, real quickly, if I could, Rye, yeah. um, here's three whys as to why educators should lead themselves well. Um, the first one is um, you have to lead yourself well because you can't lead anyone else unless you are actively headed in a very particular direction. Uh, you know, there's some old quotes about uh, you can't lead people where you haven't gone or a ship only rides as high, rises as high as the tide. My problem I have with those quotes is that they're kind of static in nature. Um, the, the statement, you know, you can only lead where you have been, right? Like that's, that's, that's too static in nature. I, I do feel like leadership is a constantly actively evolving thing. Um, we're certainly seeing that in how complicated it is to lead in, in today's crazy day and age. Um, the, the disruption of technology, and disruption is not a bad word, um, disruption of technology and education, the crisis, the pandemic, I mean, it is just becoming more and more complicated to lead. Um, and so um, it, you can't be a static leader, you have to be an active leader. And so if you're going to lead others, you have to be actively going somewhere yourself, and then they can, can follow along. The second reason it's so important why you need to lead yourself well uh, is because if you want to produce a quality performance as an educational leader and every single person listening to this, I don't care if you're teaching kindergarten, I don't care if you're a guidance counselor, I don't care if you're an assistant principal, a director of facilities, you're a leader in the educational setting. If you're going to be a great leader and produce a quality performance, well, then you've got to spend time in quality preparation, which requires quiet pursuits. And so that kind of goes all the way to the root of leading yourself well. Um, uh, Ryan, you and I were talking before we hit record on um, just kind of the, the the physical active habit of leading yourself well by by working out in the morning, yeah. right? Like that is that is an example of leading yourself well, caring for things like your body, and then the correlation to your mental health state and your emotional health state that comes with working out. You know, that's leading yourself well, and that's a keystoning habit that has a trickle down effect across every other area of your life. Um, the endorphins that are released when you're working out, put you in a better mood. It boosts your immune system, keeps you healthier. So you don't miss school. Um, you sleep better at night because you're exhausted from the yeah, workout you're working all day long, you know? And so I, I say that to say that um, that would be a quiet pursuit. That is a form of preparation that leads to a quality performance. That performance in, in that instance would be just overall better life, yeah. better quality of life. And so you can also take that and focus it in, on a very specific area of your professional career. Um, you know, if, if you want a quality performance in a classroom lesson, or you want a quality performance in a lab that you're going to lead students in, or a quality performance as you're creating a new program for students or for faculty members, well, that's going to require some serious preparation, which that's is right. going to be with some quiet pursuits. So that's the second why. The third why on uh, why it's so important to lead yourself well um, is because, and this is the most important why, in my opinion. 
education, and this could stir some people up. This could create great debate if we were on a webinar with, you know, an open Q&A. What I love. Uh, the, the core of education is not about passing along content. The core of education is about passing along values and ideals. Love it. People get a little, people get a little stirred up on that. No, because that's right. There's a lot of, a lot of um, information out there about neutral curriculum. I, I really, I really want to fight against that. There's no such thing as neutral curriculum. Because in order to educate people, it will be on the basis of your values and ideals. And so it's so important to lead yourself well so that your values and ideals are constantly sharpening, they're deepening, they're polishing, um, they're maintaining relevant um, according to the culture and the context in which you're educating. I'll give you a perfect example that's a little bit of a tense example. Um, our country the last six months you know, has had some real real tense moments around the topic of race and rightfully so, sure. rightfully so. And one of the first responses um, when the tension around race really came to a head last spring, one of the first responses was for people to go look at the curriculum, yeah. right? Like educators are like, how are, how are we not nurturing the conversation around race in a healthy way? Because based upon what's in our curriculum, well, why, uh, race isn't a curriculum issue. Race isn't a content issue. It's not an academic issue. Race is a value and ideals issue. Absolutely. It's a conversation about the value of a human being. Yeah. And so quickly, we dove right into education and violated everything we would say about, hey, education is neutral. Education is not neutral. Yeah. Education is always about passing along values and ideals. Now, content is important. That goes along with education. Academic standards are important. That goes along with education. But it will always be on the back of values and ideals. And so that is so important that you lead yourself well so that your values and ideals are always sharp. They're always polished. They're always well thought out. Uh, they're always very altruistic. Um, they always match the context and the culture and the current. I, heard, I read a great, great quote a couple of weeks ago that the formation of your character is about how often, or the quality of the formation of your character is about how often you are willing to confront yourself. Right. And I think constantly reflecting and confronting yourself is one of the ways that you make sure your values and ideals are in a healthy place so that you can be a great leader in the educational industry because the future generation kind of hinges on this. Right. And so that would be like my three big whys. It's so important to lead yourself well. Um, you can't lead anyone where you're not actively goading. And because you're an educator, you're leading, whether you like it or not. That's right. That's right. You can't lead anyone where you're not actively goading. Uh, going. Um, you've got to be quality preparation, require, quality pursuits, performance rather, requires quality preparation, which requires quiet pursuits. And then education is really passing along values and ideals along with the content areas that we talked about. And so to lead yourself well is to have well-formed values and ideals. Um, so those would be the three whys on why it's so important to lead yourself well in the educational atmosphere. Whew. So that's a lot to unpack, but I'm going to tell you, I have, I am literally covered with goosebumps because what you said, um, I completely agree. 110,000%. Um, I just want to bring up two of my own reflection pieces. Um, I think what you said, these three steps um, really hits a point that I try to make is that uh, we have been inside of a literally a pandemic uh, for years and years and years that nobody talks about. And it's the learned helplessness pandemic. Um, it's the fact we have so many kids and so many adults that just feel helpless and feel they, you know, that their life is out of their control. And um, it, like as an elementary teacher and, and former principal, we spent so much time trying to get these kids pumped up for state assessment 
when really what we should have been doing all along, like you are saying, is building those values and ideals of doing the best that you always, you know, building that type of, uh, like, like I said, again, the psychology behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another thing that, that this COVID has really had me thinking about is that, um, so if teachers are only for content, then we don't need teachers. We need computers. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I think this whole COVID thing has hopefully shown us, it has shown me, is that the bigger reason for teachers, like you are saying, and like I 100% agree, is that teachers pass on the shared values of the society. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of the, one of the things I've, I've spoken to friends about lately is that um, there was a time, I mean, there was a time in, in the history of education where education was solely content because you had the family structure uh, to be able to teach the ideas and to be able to teach the values. Um, but quite honestly, quite realistically, um, that is not the case. Most families have two, um, a mother and a father, if there is a mother and father, um, busy working. Um, I know you'll understand what I'm talking, but I might see my kids for an hour a day. And so, you know, how much realistically am I passing on to my kids? Um, But like you say, if the school takes the lead, or maybe not the lead, if the school takes the, um, maybe holds the hand of the family and comes alongside. um, Yeah, yeah, I love what you're saying, man. I mean, the schools, a long time ago, long time ago, you have to study a basic book in school law. The school has been declared in loco parentis in the right. place of the parent when the child is with the school. It doesn't mean that the school, the, the, the school is more important than the parent. Mm-hmm. It just means that when the ch- school, child is with the school, the school is in the place of the parent. And you think about one of the most important things a parent does in life for their child is pass along values and ideals. That's right. And so it fills that role for them. And then there's a lot of educational research, a lot of educational authors out there that talk about the hidden curriculum. Um, and the hidden curriculum is what has been stripped away during COVID and during virtual learning. Uh, the hidden curriculum is like the mortar in the bricks of education. And, and it's those interactions with the teacher. It's the facial expressions. It's the fist bump. It's the, hey, you know, do you really understand that? You know, or it's the, Hey, you know, Mr. So-and-so, you know, like, what did you say again? That doesn't sound right. Like it's all those things that make up the hidden curriculum. That is the mortar that really holds the bricks, the content, the, the testing standards. It holds all of that together. And that's been very hard. The hidden curriculum has been very hard um, to reproduce in a virtual setting. Um, and so there's some, some great writing out there about the disruption of technology on education and how personalized it makes it. I think there's a lot of value in it, but I also think the pandemic has shown us that I'm not sure anything will replace live in-person education because the hidden curriculum is so critical. Oh, amen, man. Um, I don't know about you, but so like from like March to I think July-ish or so. So when we should have had students or we should have been doing some of that stuff, like I can remember um, like sitting in my office no students in the building thinking, okay, like, what am I supposed to, what am I, what, like, like my job primarily is working with behavior and that's my favorite thing to do. And so when there's no behavior in the building, I had no clue what to do. 
because I love the yeah. hidden, you know, because I love the hidden yep. curriculum. That's my favorite part. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. That would be the same for me. I, I don't spend a ton of time with students anymore in my role, but um, it's the, it's the, it's the, the life on life interaction. Um, even in my role of working mostly exclusively with coaches, um, the life on life interaction, you know, that is really the lightning in my veins. Uh, and so that's, that's been really, you know, what you and I are doing right now, getting to know each other for the first time and all very cool. What, what a great day age to be alive. Um, but it, it, it doesn't have the same, you know, the same zap to it, yeah. uh, that the in-person experience does. So, um, absolutely, man, we've learned a lot during this pandemic. That's for sure. We, we absolutely have. Um, <laughs> and so I feel like we are at a place where I'm going to start to wrap us up, um, because you have talked about, you know, the, the, the kind of the problem. Um, that you are seeing in education is that, you know, we're not valuing everybody as leaders. Um, it's very easy to pigeonhole the leaders in the building. And, and we don't talk enough about um, everybody's re role and maybe responsibility um, of being the leader wherever their feet stand, yeah. uh, wherever their feet are. Um, and I love your three simple tips. Um, so I'm gonna go over those, those again. I know you've already said them once, but I want to make sure I have them right. Um, that you cannot lead anyone else unless you are actively headed in a, in a specific direction. Um, if you want to create a quality product, you have got to spend quality time in quiet pursuits. Um, and then the core of education is to pass on values and ideas and not just the content. So I love, love, love it. So it really hits on um, that whole, okay, let's improve ourselves because once we improve ourselves. Uh, we are in a much better place to improve everybody else. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and I, I, again, I, I want to, I want this to inspire and encourage those in the educational industry that are listening right now. Um, you are leaders. Uh, your, your professional performance, uh, the impact you have on the lives of others um, hinges uh, on your continued growth as a leader. And then your, your expertise in content areas um, your mastery of, of content areas and pedagogy, all that stuff really begins to align on the basis of simply continuing to grow yourself uh, as a leader. Uh, and so um, just want to encourage everyone, um, you're a leader, you're a leader. Don't, don't miss out on the opportunity to have the impact that you were designed to have um, simply because you just underestimate how much a leader you are. Absolutely, man. Well, you, you just talked about, you know, you're wanting to inspire some folks. So if there is anybody listening um, that would like to reach out to you, that would like to pick your brain, maybe um, maybe want to collaborate with you on a book, um, how can some friends um, out there in the edgesphere get a hold of you? Yeah, yeah. Um, Twitter's the best place. Um, I, I, I put a lot of content out on Twitter. Um, just, again, trying to inspire people, excite people. Uh, Twitter can be a dangerous place sometimes. And so I try and make it as... Uh, valuable and as inspiring a place as I can in my little niche of it. So um, again, my name is Chris Hobbs, uh, the title Dr. Chris Hobbs. So the, the, the Twitter handle is at DR underscore Chris Hobbs. Uh, follow me. I follow back. You know, I'm not, I'm not looking necessarily for followers so much as I'm looking for connections. Um, DM me, message me, uh, you know, love to, love to, you know, definitely uh, iron sharpens iron with people out there in, in, in the Twitterverse. Well, man, um, I have honestly and sincerely and really, really, really enjoyed our conversation tonight. It's really, it's really cool to meet somebody um, that I, that I really think shares a lot of the same ideas I do. Um, 
though you are in beautiful Palm Beach and I'm in Western Kentucky, which is beautiful in its own way. Um, man, I've loved meeting you and please don't ever be a stranger. Um, you want to, you know, if you just want to talk or you just want to whatever, shoot the shit. Don't worry about reaching out to me. Um, so I'm going to end us. And like I always do, I'm going to end us with a quote on dreaming um, because the world only changes by big dreams. So here is the quote that I have selected for tonight. Dreams come a size too big so that we can grow in them. And so for my friends out there in the edgesphere or out there in the internet land, thank you once again for listening to the Big Ed Idea podcast. As always, if you would like to further this conversation, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. Um, I would love to talk and love to pick your brain. And if you have any ideas of your own um, to change the world of or change the world through education, hit me up. Talk to you next time. Thank you for hanging out with me here on the Big Ed Idea Podcast. My hope is that this would be a conversation, a meeting of the minds and a space for one person's vision to inspire the passions of another. However, none of this can happen without you. So let's be change agents together and build a better future. Please subscribe or reach out to me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Come to the conversation with your passion, and together, let's build something awesome. Until next time, I'll see you in the funny paper. <laughs>